0: This is the City of Refuge, Thomaston, Georgia Sunday Morning Podcast. The following is a live recorded sermon by Pastor Jeff Deal. You know, last week we, you know, and it all starts with God's love. God loves all people, and God loves, loved the world so much that He sent His only Son, so that we can have the opportunity to move into our spot in His heart and live there and have the opportunity for eternity in His presence. And then, um, you know, we learned some lessons out of the first 18 verses that were pretty powerful. We're going to pick up at verse 19 here this morning if we can get it up, okay? And I'll just read through it and we'll go back because in these few verses there's a lot to unpack Um, and we're going to get very practical today. so. I'm gonna, you know, this is gonna be more like a seminar and at the end I'm gonna give you an index card and a pen and I'm gonna ask you to write down some things about yourself. Uh, I'm not gonna take it and judge you on it. I'm gonna let you take it home with you, but you need to be fair and honest in your answers. And when you take it home, you need to put it somewhere where you see it on a regular basis, whether that's on the dashboard of your car, in your bathroom, on the mirror, on the dresser, and kitchen counter, whatever so that you can be reminded about your own evaluation of yourself and the things that you need to do and the things you've committed to do and that you can be very active and proactive with all of that. So verse, starting at verse 19, says, this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. This is how we know. So I think that once he's opened it up with that, we should pay attention, okay? Because he's about to tell us how we know. I, for one, um, am really interested in the how, okay? You can tell me all day long how it's supposed to be, but unless you tell me how to get there, I really am not interested in it. I need to know how. I need to know the practical steps on how to get to where we're talking about going, which is life in the kingdom, life in the spirit, This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in His presence. Anybody interested in being at rest in the presence of God? That means just feeling satisfied with it, feeling at peace with it, knowing that it's right, knowing you are where you should be, being uh, content. Contentment is... Huge. Uh, it should be huge for all of us, and I'll tell you why. Because there's an antithesis to contentment, and the word is stress. If you're not contented, you're inevitably going to be stressed. If you have stress in your life, it is a sure sign that your contentment tank is low because really the two do not coexist, okay? And this is something I deal with on a regular basis where I have to measure my stress level and I have to measure my contentment level. And it's always that if my stress level is high, my contentment level is low. And if my contentment level is high, my stress level is low. That's the way it works. And here's why it's so important. This will not be news to you, but it's the truth. Stress kills people. That's fairly important, right? Stress will cause your life to be shorter than it should have been. Now, I know that goes against people who believe that you have a set number of days that God has assigned you to live and you're gonna die on that day regardless and that cannot be changed. I just don't believe that. I believe that we're put here on this earth to die and stuff happens and people die at different points in time, and the Bible does say it is appointed unto man once to die, but if you read that through in various translations and you look up the meanings of the original words, it doesn't actually mean that you are assigned a day to die, What it means is, is you're going to die once. It is appointed to each of us that we're going to die one time, the physical death, okay? I'm a firm believer that you can make decisions and behave in ways that will cause you to subtract days off of your life that you could have potentially lived. And if you live a stress-filled life, it is a surety that you are going to die earlier than you should have died because stress affects all the vital organs. and, And, I mean, bottom line, stress kills. So rest in his presence. That's the goal. This is how we can rest, be contented in the presence of God. And here's the how. This is how we know. If our hearts condemn us, it starts with your own heart. We haven't gotten to God yet. If your own heart condemns you, you need to start paying attention. We're going to focus on that. If your heart condemns you, we know that God is greater than your heart, right? And He knows everything. So if your own heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart. He knows more about you than you know about yourself. He knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, that's a good thing. We have confidence before God and receive from Him anything we ask. We're going to focus on that too. Because what? We keep His commands and do what pleases Him. And this is His command, John leaves us without wondering here. This is His command to believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as He commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in Him, and He in them. And this is how we know that He lives in us. We know it by the Spirit He gave us. All right, like I said, a lot of unpacking to do. There's just so much that just interweaves with so much else right here and I'm going to attempt to straighten it out for us so that we can understand it better when we leave than we did when we came in. Number one, every person has a conscience. Okay, We are born with a conscience. Do you know where that conscience comes from? Conscience is a gift from God. It is something that is instilled in every human being that is born into this world, a conscience. It's a gift from God. It is part of our makeup as created beings of the Most High God. Conscience. You know, conscience is one of the things to me that makes me 100% confident in creation, and that I'm not uh, a, a person whose ancestors were microorganisms that just exploded one day, and through a process of evolution, all of a sudden, here I am. Now, let me qualify that I do believe in evolution. I do believe because evolution means you grow and you develop and you change, and certainly we are different as human beings than human beings were thousands of years ago. Okay, But I firmly believe that God is the creator of people and of all of creation. And one of the main reasons is because he puts inside of human beings things like conscience. How does that, if it's all an accident... If it's all just random, just arbitrary, if there's no designer behind this beautiful design that we see, and I also firmly believe that if you see a beautiful design, there has to be a designer somewhere, don't you think? I mean, if you look at the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel in Rome, uh, that didn't just all of a sudden, a, a paint bucket got too hot in the floor and exploded, and all of a sudden you have this magnificent painting on the ceiling with so much detail and so much intricacy. It doesn't work like that. If you see a beautiful design, there has to be a designer behind it. And so when God, if God, let's just throw the word if in there, if God is the designer, right? He instilled in people things that cannot happen by accident. They don't just show up randomly. Conscience is one of those things, and I believe that God is the designer because of things like conscience. Okay, we got a whole parcel of dogs at the house, right? And one of them gets out, like his dumb dog, um, gets out and goes to the barn immediately. And Because I feed our hogs and stuff so much bread we have all these bread bags And I pack up all the empty bread bags in empty feed bags so that when I get several of them accumulated I can take them to the the transfer station and put them in the recycling instead of just throwing it all in a trash can Because I'm a semi-responsible human being His dog makes a beeline for the barn To grab a hold of a feed bag, turn it over, drag all the bags out, scatter them all over the place. Then you've got little pieces of plastic bag instead of just whole plastic bags to pick up. Do you think his dog carries one ounce of guilt for doing that? Do do you think it bothers his dog that I or he or, or I have to get out there and pick it all up off the ground? His dog don't care. And you know why? Because his dog doesn't have a conscience. His dog could jump on a smaller animal and kill it, and he's not going to care. Even if we beat him with a stick, he might realize he's being punished for something, but he's carrying no guilt about it because he doesn't have a conscience. Why is it if there's no design, if we all just blew up into what we are through some random process, that we as human beings have things like conscience, the ability to rationalize, right? Decision-making capacities that other animals don't have. It it just wouldn't make any sense. So conscience is a God-given gift Here's the definition of conscience according to the Oxford Languages Dictionary. It is an inner feeling or voice viewed as acting as a guide to the rightness or the wrongness of one's behavior. I like that definition. Even though it comes from a secular um, volume, a dictionary, it leans into the spirituality of consciousness because it talks about wrongness and rightness. It says it's an inner feeling. It's this guide star inside of us. And it guides us as to the rightness or the wrongness of our behavior so that if we are behaving rightly and we're communicating rightly and we're carrying on our relationships rightly and we're doing business rightly and we're not mistreating people, and we're not stealing from anybody and all those kinds of things, then our conscience is okay. We're not at war with our conscience. You get it? okay? But if something's out of whack in our rightness level, if there are things that are wrong, So I'm mostly right, but I do a little cheating on my taxes, right? Because, well, everybody does it and, you know, and it helps me out and the government don't deserve that anyway. All those justifications, right? But what happens, and you're a liar if you say this don't happen to you, what happens when we fudge a little on the rightness? Doesn't it show up and just sort of prod at us a little bit here and there? Doesn't it come to mind when it ordinarily wouldn't come to mind? And when it does come to mind, does it carry a negative connotation or a positive connotation? Does it carry a little bit of a negative feeling or a little bit of a positive feeling? Well, we know the answers to that. That's called conscience. Well, Wikipedia gives us a, a definition of conscience as well. And of course, Wikipedia is going to give you the entirely the secular... View of anything, if you, well, I'm not getting into that. Conscience is a cognitive process that elicits emotion and rational association based on an individual's moral philosophy or value system. I pulled up these two definitions and I knew they were going to be profoundly different from each other. Because I wanted to draw the contrast for the the purpose of telling you that you should only be looking in certain places and at certain sources if you want to find the truth. Okay? When people come to us and they have a drug or alcohol addiction and they want to get help, they want to go into recovery, do you know that we never once ever recommend people to programs that do not have God at the center? I'm not, I'm not going to tell you to go to a program that leaves God completely out of the picture in terms of your healing, in terms of your recovery, in terms of your redemption. Why? Because I believe that God created you. I believe that you messed up what he created, but now you have an opportunity to get back to what he intended. And the way to get back to what he intended is to go through him. I know people who have gone through recovery in in programs that are not God-centered, that were successful and now have been clean and sober for many years. That's all fine and dandy, but if they don't have God at the center of their lives, they're still not living in the fullness of his purpose. So when we go digging around looking for answers, looking for truth, looking can we put that uh, back up there, the Wikipedia definition? Pay attention to what it says. It's a cognitive process. So it's not spiritual. It's just your mind. Uh, A cognitive process that elicits emotion and rational association based on what? Your own philosophy or value system. What you've chosen for yourself as the truth. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that is that your truth is not a truth. Because there's only one truth. Your truth, if it's not founded on God's truth, is not truth. There is no truth for you and a different truth for me. It doesn't exist. That's why the world is so screwed up. It's because everybody thinks they have the truth and all their truths are different. Right? If we would all get to the one truth, the world would be a phenomenal place to live and would be filled with contentment and peace and love and joy and all the good gifts that come down from the Father who gives us his truth. Paul in Acts chapter 24, verse 16 says, so I, and this will prove to us that this is a deeply spiritual issue it's coming from the chief writer of letters to the churches in the New Testament. He says, "So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man." Paul saying, "I strive to keep my conscience clear." always before God and man. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm paying attention to it. I'm working at it. I know how important this is. This is life and death. This is the value of my life on earth. This is my influence. If I don't keep my conscience clear, before God and man, then I have no testimony. I have nothing to say. My books, my writings, my sermons mean nothing. If I don't have a clear conscience before God and man, it's so important. And sometimes we're quick to separate out anything that goes on with us naturally from anything that could potentially go on with us spiritually But when it comes to conscience, it is a natural thing. It's also a deeply spiritual thing. We have to tie the two together. Paul says, I've got to work on my conscience all the time, and I have to do so in terms of my relationship with God, spiritual, and in terms of my relationship with people, natural. It has to happen. So... The lesson that we learn from the first four or five verses, about three or four verses of John chapter three, are that God gives us a conscience. It's a deeply spiritual issue. We have to maintain it, do maintenance on it all the time, pay attention to it all the time. And, and so it's a key, it's a key. To everything that happens in us spiritually it's one of those powerful tools that is gifted to us that a lot of times we're just guilty of not taking advantage of like we should and when the holy spirit lives in us he's always working with us in terms of what god has already instilled in us which is our conscience because our conscience actually exists in us before we even make a decision if we're going to follow Christ, because conscience is a natural thing that is given to us at birth. and we grow up with it. When we went to Virginia for family reunion a couple weeks ago, I took my family over to an elementary school that I went to when I was a kid, grades four, five, six, seven. I went to school in that building, and I had a lot of great memories when we were wandering around inside that building that's been closed down for 30 years, but I had some memories that were not so good, too. I had the memory of Miss Cherry, who was my uh, social studies teacher, calling me into her little office and offering me a choice. I had called a, a girl in the lunchroom an ugly name, believe it or not. And someone tattletailed on me, and she called me in her office. And she said, I've got witnesses. You can't deny it, and I'm going to give you two choices. And she pulled out her paddle, and it was painted blue, and it had flowers painted on it of all the nerve. And she said, I'm going to give you ten licks with this board, or I'm going to call your father. I said, hit me with the board. I did not have to think about that two seconds. Because that board was going to be way better than that call home. And she told me to put my hands on a windowsill, and she whacked me ten times with that board. That was not a great memory. I've carried some guilt through the years about what I called that little girl. Right? And that's, I was ten years old. Right? and I have asked for forgiveness for it. But still, it was, it was not nice. And my conscience has bugged me about that. There was a time when I went to the school store because I needed some little, a pencil or something. They had a little closet, they called it the school store, that you could go to in the morning time, give them a nickel, and they give you what you want. I went to the store, the door's standing open, there's nobody in there. I got my pencil. I got a beautiful box of markers, Crayola markers, and stuck them in my pocket and walked back to the classroom, right? Sitting in the classroom. You know, I was a great thief, but I was stupid on the follow-up because I started bragging to my classmates about stealing this box of markers and this pencil. And this little girl sitting over here, as soon as I said it, she stands up, walks right up to the teacher's desk, Jeffrey said he stole some markers out of the school store. That story is still with me because I got in trouble for it, but also because my conscience bugged me about it, right? And so maintenance, regular maintenance, regular attention to our consciences is very important. And it should not drag us down because the reason for it is not to focus on the stupid and wrong stuff that we did, but to make sure we're always scrubbing our lives to make sure the conscience is clear before God and man. So I'm going to give you an exercise. I need help, Anton and Riley. Is he still in here? Where would he go? Take the cards, pass out a card to everybody. Give everybody a pen. So, you're going to get an index card and a pen. And you're going to do a little self evaluation. And you're going to get two assignments. <coughs> you can start thinking while they're passing them out. On a scale of 1 to 10, how aware would you say you are on a daily basis of your conscience? How aware? 10 being 100% all the time, I'm on it, my conscience is always in the forefront. And well, 0 to 10, 0 meaning you killed your conscience a long time ago, it's just you're a hopeless case. Okay. Scale of 0 to 10, to what extent or how aware of your conscience are you? So how often does it show up? You know, How much do you have to deal with it? How much guilt do you struggle with because your conscience is always bugging you about certain things? Zero is never, 10 is I'm very aware of it a lot. Number two, how positive on a scale of one to ten is your response to your conscience when it does show up? How positive? Do you immediately recognize it as a positive thing? Do you immediately go to work to correct whatever it is your conscience is bugging you about? Or do you fight against it? Do you make excuses? Number three is a very important question that you need to be really honest about. What level of guilt do you carry with you on a regular basis? On a scale of one to Ten, ten being I feel guilty all the time, it's just a, a menace to me, or zero, I have no guilt. Number four, to what extent, scale of zero to ten, to what extent do you really sense the Spirit's involvement in your day-to-day life? To what extent do you really sense the Spirit's involvement, the Spirit of God, His involvement in your life on a day-to-day basis? number five scale of zero to ten what is your level of obedience to god's words on a day-to-day basis now if you don't know god's words you and i need to have a conversation uh and that would be a zero if you never pay attention to god's words that's a problem if you don't dig into God's words on a regular basis then you can't possibly answer this question at a high level your level of obedience is only going to relate to how much time you actually spend with the words of God and I'm not talking about going to church I'm talking about your own personal discipline of digging into the words of God number six Zero to ten, to what extent do you know you are blessed as a result of your obedience? To what extent do you know you are blessed? You can look around, you can evaluate your life, you see what your blessings are, and you know those blessings are there because you have chosen a pathway of obedience to the words of God. And number seven and eight are things for you to, questions for you to answer or lists. Number seven, list two areas in your life that you need to work on in terms of our conversation this morning. And a good place to start is if your conscience bothers you about something, What is that something? Because that's an area that you need to work on. Two areas that you need to work on could be communication, could be knee-jerk decision-making, could be anger, could be unforgiveness towards somebody for what they did or didn't do, could be guilt over things that you did in the past or didn't do in the past that you should have done. Two areas you need to work on. And number eight, write down one specific thing you will do this week to improve in one of those areas of weakness. Because when I say work on it, well, that's kind of general. you got to have action plan, and you have to make your own action plan because you know your situation. You've listed two areas that you need to work on. Now give us one step, one specific thing you'll do this week as part of your action plan, the beginning of your action plan, in that area of weakness. <clears throat> what? Write one for each if you can do that. Start with one. For, and if you want to do more, certainly. So here's the bottom line blessing follows obedience. It's my motto for life. You know, I saw I saw a quote the other day that is a close second. It said gravy is essential to life. That's a close second. But number 1 for me is blessing follows obedience. And, and I'm almost done. But as Christians, we love the promises, don't we? The promises of good things, the promises of healing, promises of provision, the promise of peace, the promise of joy the promise of forgiveness, the promise of heaven. We love the promises. And we like to claim those for ourselves. We focus a lot on it. We, we pray and we ask God for His blessings. We pray and we ask God to give us the gifts. We pray and we ask God to give us the promises that He's offered to His people. But here's what we too often ignore, and it starts in Genesis, it runs all the way through Revelation, and it's still running today. And that is that every promise, with the exception of salvation, comes with requirements. Comes with conditions. It's not just a free-for-all for anybody who wants to claim a promise. Right? Right? The promises of God are offered to obedient sons and daughters of God. And that's all. You can lay no claim to the promises of God if you are not living your life as an obedient son or daughter of God. That's everywhere. I could stand up here and preach for three, four years giving you scriptures and examples and stories and illustrations from the Word of God to prove that this is true. Just start with the children of Israel in the wilderness, leaving Egypt. Just walk through that whole story and how every time they choose a pathway of obedience they are blessed and every time they choose a pathway of disobedience they have a really, really hard time finding the promises of God. Blessing follows obedience. Yes, Jesus did say, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. But every promise that Jesus gave like that, the context of it is, if you choose the pathway of the kingdom, if you choose to follow me, if you choose to... Obey God's words. If you choose to do what I'm doing, he would say, which is to understand through humility and surrender what God's mission and purpose is for you and just say yes to it every day, then you can ask. And you know what that does? It takes out money. It takes out cars. It takes out homes. It takes out all material possessions because then once you have surrendered to Him and His words, all those things no longer become a priority to you. That's not what you're talking about anyway. That's not what he's talking about. It's not what you're talking about. What you're talking about is the things that he has planned for you. He knows that's what's best for you. And those are the gifts he's going to give you if you choose a pathway of obedience. Yeah, he, he offers power. He offers peace. He offers all these beautiful gifts. But he's only offering those to obedient sons and daughters. So when John teaches us about paying attention to the conscience, when he teaches us that there, there are two kingdoms, and if you live in this kingdom, the requirement to live in this kingdom is obedience and if you choose obedience, you are a resident, a citizen of this kingdom. And if you're a citizen of this kingdom, you get all the benefits of being part of this kingdom. And We had an employee at City of Refuge who worked for us a number of years and then was terminated for some things and came back to us and said, you owe me two million, four hundred, some thousand dollars. That's what y'all owe me. Huh? (laughs) Yeah. And so what this individual did was went back and determined what we should have paid him for 10 years uh, compared to what we actually did pay him and that we owe him what we should have paid him that he thought we should have paid him. In addition, he thought back through, I guess people or companies or somebody, that he took the credit for inviting to campus, although some of them he didn't. And whatever contributions they made to the organization as charitable donations, he deserved a percentage of that. See, this is, I'm using that as an example because that sounds far-fetched. And, and what we ultimately did after he kept on with the nonsense was had our attorney write him a letter and say, cease and desist from this or we're going to have you prosecuted for extortion and blackmail. And when he got that letter, he sent us a text and said, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. You won't hear from me again. Okay? And we think that's extreme and it is a little extreme and it's a little far-fetched. But you know we do that same kind of thing in the kingdom all the time where we claim things that are not rightfully ours because we're not paying the price to be there. We're not, we're not following the guidelines. We're not paying attention to the principles and obeying them. We're not living as sons and daughters. We want to put ourselves at the center and make ourselves king and push God to the perimeter and then expect God to just accommodate our plan. No. No. If God's not at the center then it's not God's plan. And if He's not at the center and us on the perimeter, we should have no expectation that the good and perfect gifts and promises of God are ever going to be realized in our lives to the fullest extent that He wants them to be realized. Amen. Father, bless you. Thank you for, again, powerful principles from your Word, supported by things that are in us that you created in us naturally. I just pray that it would go with us when we leave here, that these cards, we would take them seriously, that we would display them somewhere where they can be reminders to us, and that we would all grow and learn and, and be um, stronger, better equipped kingdom sons and daughters every day that we live. We pray that your Holy Spirit would show up to remind us of these words and to counsel us and to keep us from creating disaster in our own lives by trying to follow our own plans. Before we leave here, Father, I want to pray for Maddie and Harrison, for Joshua and his fiance. God, this uh, final week of them being single young adults and I just want to pray a prayer blessing over them, their families that, first of all, God would be at the center of all things and that because of that every good and perfect gift you have for them as married couples would be poured out and that in all ways they would honor you with their lives and that they would love and support each other all the days of their lives according to your instruction for marriage. We love you. We honor you. We pray you give us a great week. We pray for the people in Florida who are now uh, anticipating some really bad weather and uh, it's not the first time Our country or sections of the country have been through this and people out in California who are experiencing terrible weather and people in Hawaii who have experienced devastation. God, we just hold up your people before you and we know that your compassion is real and that you would just sustain and uplift. And most of all, that through disaster and tragedy, you would reveal your heart and that people would be drawn to it. And we pray these things for your glory and in your name. Amen.